one verse we're going to start and then finish with the same verse at the end. Hebrews chapter 13. Can we have the slide up as well, please, Ola? There's just one, there's one slide to um, project. Thank you. Let me just pray. Lord, as we come to your word, look, Lord, we recognize that this is you speaking through man. This is not man's clever ideas. This is God's revelation. So, Lord, as we come to it, may we come to it with honor and humility, but also expectation of what it is you want to say to us. And, uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Ultimately, we thank you that you give us guidance, that you give us principles and truths and, and, uh, and like I say, revelation of who you are, of your character and how you, how you shape us, your family, <coughs> of the promises over us and so on. We thank you so much for the word. It's a rich treasure trove that we can never get to the bottom of. It's a gold mine we've barely just started exploring. So we say thank you. And will you speak to us through Holy Spirit? Will you open our eyes to the truth, the golden nuggets within? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, today I want to talk about shepherds of the flock is what I've called it this morning. It'll be more evident why in just a moment. I want to talk about leadership. Um, leadership generally today in our society is something to be questioned, isn't it? Quite often now it's, it's something to be suspicious of. Cynicism is rife, particularly when people view the world of politics and so on and so forth, um, they're in it for themselves. And those kind of comments get, get um, repeated quite often when it comes to leadership at business level, in politics, government and so on. Um, <coughs> have you ever spent the afternoon with a friend putting the world to rights? What should happen is this. And what they need to do is that. And quite often we're just saying we know better. <laughs> don't we? Uh, when we're not fully aware of all the facts that other people in positions of power do know. Now sometimes they don't always get it right. Absolutely. We need to be discerning about that. But quite often we think we know better. Actually it's a similar flavour of, well, if I was there I'd do it better than them. Uh, we just need to honour people that God puts into leadership as well sometimes. as well. just need to be a bit more discerning about that. I've done it myself. But that just proves the point that if leadership is to function well, if leadership is to work well, it needs to be trusted. But in order to be trusted, it needs to be transparent and accountable, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, and so when it comes to leadership in the church, it's something we don't explicitly talk about often. And we just felt it's long overdue that we just need to spend a morning just talking about elders in the church. And I just want to answer some very simple questions. Why do we need them? What do they do? Who are they? How do we find them? How do we raise them up? And so on. I just want to talk about answering those simple questions on the subject of elders in the church. Because whether you've not given it much thought, maybe, it's just, this is what we do, this is how it works, this is what it looks like. Or maybe you've researched and studied it very, very extensively. Either way, we, it is helpful for us to refresh ourselves again on what eldership is, why we function the way we do as a local church, and so on. So let's just start. Hebrews 13, verse 17. It's one simple verse in here that we're just going to start with. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they, here it is, are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. For you, you can read that with a smile. For me, I can read that with a shudder, but in a good way. It's a privilege, but it's also a great responsibility. Let me just read it again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 
First of all, in there, there is an expectation. These leaders exist. There's an expectation. They obviously needed. They are there. But then who are these leaders? Who decides who they are? Why do we need them? What exactly do they do? That's what I want to press into over the next kind of 40 minutes or so. First of all, straight into the first question, why? Why are they there? Why do we need them? Well, generally speaking, for a family, a, a normal biological family, for a family to flourish, um, health experts agree there are a number of things that contribute to a family flourishing. There is accountability between the family members. That's really important. There needs to be fair rules and expectations that enable safety, but also enable respect amongst the family. There needs to be healthy routines in the family as well, which instill, they instill strong values, they create a rhythm of life that allows each individual to therefore grow and be rooted together and so on. You how you do family mealtimes, how you do mornings, how you do holidays, how you do communication, how you do deal with conflict between you and, and so on and so forth. All these things are really important to ensuring that a family flourishes well together. Now, someone has to make sure that's happening, don't they? You can't always assume that everybody else is keeping an eye out for that. Somebody has to take responsibility for that. Well, in a standard family, the, the buck stops at the parents. Parents should step up to the expectation that that is, what, that is the role they need to step into. Not all parents do. But generally speaking, that's, what, that's, the, that's, the, that's where the buck stops with the parents, doesn't it? To make sure this is happening. And so, in the church, we also are family. We are God's family. And it's the same principle. Much like parents need to step into the role assigned to them, we need identified leaders who are acknowledged and respected, who keep a watchful eye and are responsible for seeking health in all areas of the family to make sure that we do genuinely keep the main thing, the main thing, reminding of who we are and being healthy. The, one, the, church, the church is a wonderful privilege to be a part of, isn't it? Yes, good. I'm glad you agree with me. And so because of what it is, being the family of God, this is who we are now, it's not something we can take lightly, but nor is it something we should control so tightly it becomes what it was never intended to be either. It's about family, isn't it? And so this family that we have become, through Jesus' rescue mission on the cross, where he claims victory over our rebellion, and also through is uh, rising from the grave where he claims victory over death and separation, and we are brought into God's family as a result. Then therefore, as this family, we must live within wise and healthy oversight to ensure that a number of things happen, that we keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Never forget that. We need people to help ensure that we do keep the main thing the main thing, making disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? We need to keep serving those in need. We need to keep being willing to foster family and community further. We need to keep being willing to uh, challenge one another where there's room for growth and challenge one another where there's sin to weed out. We need to be honest with each other sometimes, don't we? Accountability again. We need to keep seeking to introduce all those who don't know Jesus yet to him. We need people to ensure this is happening and so on. It doesn't drift off our radar. But in order to do so, therefore, we need leaders who God enables to ensure the health of his people on the ground. Now what's fascinating is that the New Testament, amongst all the different areas of church function it talks about when it comes to baptism and evangelism and, and worship, worship gatherings and um, communion and so on, it offers instructions on all these different things. But it offers instruction on the leaders far more than anything else when you add it up. Now, 
when you consider how strongly the New Testament avoids regulations and procedure, the kind of thing we find in the Old Testament, and it avoids it for good reason. It's a new way of living life for God now. It avoids all that. However, therefore, in light of that, the amount of attention it pays to church elders is quite remarkable. And we need to honour that, we need to listen to that, and we need to take a look and scrutinise it. So that's what we're going to do. That's the why. That's why we need leaders in the first place. But then the next question it begs is, what do they do? What, what is the function of, a, of an elder? Well, let's just look at the name first of all, because that will help. The word elder, overseer, pastor, these are all interchangeable words used throughout the New Testament. They're talking about the same thing, the same role. Elder, overseer, pastor, it means the same thing. We tend to use pastor or elder here at Beacon Church. Um, the word priest is unhelpful. Some aspects of the faith, so to speak, or elsewhere, other faiths as well, use the word priest. That is unhelpful because actually, as believers, we are all priests. Peter himself in his letter talks about the priesthood of all believers. That means a priest is someone who is able to step into the holy presence of God as a believer. That's you. And to intercede on behalf of others, to pray for others before the living God. That's a priest's role as a believer, as one of his, that's you. So we are all priests. So to call our leaders, our fathers in the church, priests is actually quite unhelpful. Oh, the same goes for minister. Sometimes the word minister is used. I'm not judging people who do that, but again, I'd suggest that's an unhelpful word to use for leaders in the church because actually the word minister simply means to serve. It comes from the Roman galleys. It's actually the name of the uh, under rower on the team, on the oar. It's just someone who's part of the team, serving faithfully, probably in, in obscurity, serving to keep the boat moving. Actually, as God's people, we are all ministers. We all have a part to play in the, in the body, don't we? And it might look different, but we're all serving. We're all ministering to one another, the ministry of all believers. We're all ministers. So to then elevate that word to something it's not meant to be, almost like, well, you're here to serve, mate. Am I over here, Jack? It, it becomes quite unhelpful. Language develops and changes the culture. We just need to be careful sometimes of the language we use. So we use the words elder or pastor. tend to be the words we use um, that come from the New Testament. There's another word that pops up that isn't very helpful as a title, but is very, very helpful for understanding the function, the role. And that's the word shepherd. It's the title, shepherds of the flock. We don't call ourselves shepherd Steve, shepherd John, shepherd David. Don't you dare later. I know what you're thinking. I know what Bob's thinking now. But <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Because in our language, in our modern times, it's a bit of a weird thing to call people. Oh, Steve's one of our shepherds. Big pardon. Steve's one of our elders. Even then, that can be a bit confusing. Pastor, people tend to understand a bit more. Shepherd is a bit of a weird title to use. But as picture language of what elders do, shepherd is a wonderful word to use. Because while literal shepherds play a big part in the Old Testament and beyond in the New Testament, and we do see them today, but it's less so certainly in our culture, but certainly in the Old Testament, shepherds were a big thing. They were everywhere. And many of those people came to be shepherds of God's people. But then you start seeing how it's rooted in God's heart himself to be a shepherd. So in Psalm 23, David recognizes this. Psalm 23, the very famous psalm, David says, The Lord's my shepherd. I'll not want, he'll lead me to green pastures and so on. He's my shepherd. And then Jesus himself, John chapter 10, how does he describe himself? I am the good shepherd. It's in God's heart in the first place to be a shepherd himself. And God 
himself, he insists that we still have the same approach to his people thousands of years later. It doesn't change. The word shepherd is more than, in fact, just a picture. It's an actual biblical command and a responsibility. Do you want to turn with me to uh, two things we're going to turn to? First of all, John chapter 1. Sorry, John chapter 21. We're going to look at this guy called Peter. One of Jesus' best friends. He had a bit of a gob on him, didn't he? Bless his heart. Bit of a fool. But uh, I love him. That's probably why I relate to him most. He, uh, in John chapter 21, we need to recognize the context for this. While Jesus was arrested and on trial, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, denied he had anything to do with him. He was terrified and people were saying, aren't you with him? He's like, no, not me. Three times he denies him. So Jesus, in all his goodness and his kindness, after he's risen from the grave in utter victory and he's presented himself to his people, he goes quietly up to Simon at breakfast time. And this is what happens. Or Simon Peter. There's an interchangeable word. Don't get confused in this passage. He's talking about the same person. His name's Simon Peter. He's sometimes called Simon, sometimes called Peter. This is the same guy we're talking about. uh, John 21, verse 15. Jesus quietly comes up to him. He says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, here it is, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. There it is again. And then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, you you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This very clearly dug deep into Peter's very marrow. And he took on this whole idea of shepherding God's sheep. Because then you see in his letter, his first letter, 1 Peter 5, I love this. 1 Peter 5. You can clearly see that Peter has carried this for many, many, many years. And it's just ingrained in him. It's a part of who he is now. This same language comes up. 1 Peter 5. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you. So he's talking to the elders of the church. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter got it. This is about shepherding. This isn't about business. This isn't about organizing meetings. This isn't about being in charge of. This is about shepherding. It's a whole other ballgame. So, the question we need to ask then is, what do shepherds do? What do shepherds do? Well, they do, as Jesus has already commanded them, feed, feed the flock. They ensure the sheep are fed. This is it. For us, that means teaching sound doctrine. That give, ensuring that what we teach you is truth. And we need to be accountable and open for you to come and go, I'm not so sure what you said on Sunday. Can we talk about this? Let's, let's be sure of this. But we have a responsibility from the pulpit, so to speak, that it is sound truth, not just our nice ideas, not just something that sounds fun, not to give you junk food that, is, that tickles, tickles the brain. 
This is about solid truth. It's broken down into bite-sized pieces so it's easy to digest, but it's still solid truth, a healthy diet of truth, feeding the sheep, sound doctrine. Shepherds also bring direction. They know where to go. They know where the greener pastures are. They, need to, they know the safe trails around the hills and over the mountains and into the rich valley and so on. It's about finding direction together. We as elders are responsible for ensuring we're all heading in the same direction, not off doing our own things. That's not health for a family, is it? We need to be on mission together. It does include managing and governing and planning and problem solving, but all of that is part of ensuring we are keeping the main thing. We are keeping Jesus at the center. We know what we're being called to as a people. It's about envisioning, about facing in the same direction. This is what God's calling us to. We've seen over the horizon. This is the way we're going. It's leading and giving direction to the sheep as well. Shepherds also, they protect, don't they? Shepherds protect the flock from predators and also from distractions. Little Larry the lamb go, oh, shiny hedge, off he goes, and he can get left behind. There's distractions. That's still about protection, isn't it? But it is also about predators. When Paul speaks to the elders of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he said, wolves are going to come. These are false teachers. You need to, you need to be, on the, be on your guard, be on, the, on, be on the lookout, and protect the sheep from these people who are going to lead them astray. It's about protection, isn't it? That also includes seeking the lost, like I've just mentioned, but also correcting sinful behavior. As health in the church, we need to protect the church. If there's sinful behavior going on, it's unrepentant, we need to speak into it. There is a place for that. It's about protection. It's not about domineering at all. Shepherds are also self-sacrificing. Shepherds are hardworking, even if it's behind the scenes. While on the surface, it looks like elders do a lot of sitting around, talking to people and drinking coffee. That is a lot of hard work, actually depending on the conversations involved. But there is a lot of sleepless nights. There is a lot of giving up a lot of your family time. Shepherds are hardworking, and that needs to be okay, but you also need to make sure you protect your elders from not overworking as well. There's a place for health. But it's about caring, about self-sacrificing, and having a compassion for the people that includes doing the pastoring, but since elders are only men, people human beings, they can only do so much, there needs to be a place for every member of ministry and caring for one another as well. So, that's what elders do. Shepherding is the easiest and most helpful way of understanding it. Who are they? Who are they? Let's look at that in plainer terms. I'm going to get you flipping about all over the place. 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's a list of qualifications for elders or overseers. Is the other interchangeable word that's used in this passage. Qualifications, Paul says to Timothy about raising up new elders. This is what he says. 1 Timothy 3, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, must be the husband of one wife, must be sober-minded, must be self-controlled, must be, I'm going to run out of fingers, I'm going to stop putting my fingers up. Respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders 
so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. There's another list in Titus chapter 1 that's similar, some overlap that's slightly different. There's another list continuing. I started reading some of it in 1 Peter 5, which talks about the qualifications of these people. In particular, the point is 90% plus of this is about character, not just about what they do. It's about character. And elders should lead by example. They should not be, have expectations of the flock that they're not willing to have of themselves. And it's about being of high character throughout. Now, I'd suggest most of that is about character qualifications of Christians, <laughs> actually. But if an elder can't be that, they shouldn't be an elder. It's about appropriate integrity and leading by example, doesn't it? Now, those lists are huge. We don't have time to go into each one of those. I'd love to. But there are just four points I just want to bring out from that, just to help set the scene of, of the, the core values that we hold uh, very dearly here at Beacon Church. There's four in particular I want to bring out from this list and one from another. Um, <clears throat> first of all, there's one word that you might not have even spotted in there necessarily. It's the word he. We need to talk about the word he that pops up in this list here. It says, uh, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task must be the husband of one wife, he must manage his own household well, he must not be a recent convert, etc. We need to talk about this word, because it does come up on regular occasions, in different settings, different streams of churches and so on. Let's roll it back to the beginning. From, from the beginning, mankind has been found, founded in the essence of family. Biological family as well as spiritual family. This is about team. This is about differences being embraced, about equality not meaning being the same. That's not what equality means. But it's about value. Equality and value and worth. This is about unity not meaning uniformity. Unity does not mean everybody looks the same or acts the same. This is about man and woman complementing each other from the very start. This is about humanity not being fully complete unless we acknowledge and we embrace our differences and our callings as well. Again, this is about team. And so that includes a place for those who are called to be fathers, both in biological families, birth families, or even adoptive families, but also in God's family, the church. And so in Genesis chapter 1, when God makes mankind, it says, let us make man in our image. So already our, talking about the original, eternal, never began family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all vastly different but they are family and they're all equal in worth and they all play different roles, all equally God. Same but different. Let us make man in our image. And then he goes on to say, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. Didn't make male in his image and then added a woman, etc. or made man and go, oh, screwed that up, right, woman. <laughs> Jenny like that. It's about, let us make man in our image, and God did so, male and female, he created them. Male and female, together we reflect God in his fullness. Together we reflect God as image bearers. Individually we are image bearers of God, but together we fully do that in all its multicolored glory. Does that make sense? But what's interesting is that when Adam and Eve sinned, even though it's Eve who crumbled first, it's Eve who gave into temptation first, who sinned first, and then she wooed Adam to come and jo join in. And Adam was like, gladly, yeah, all right. She did it first. Even though that happened, 
Who did God address the question of responsibility to? Who did he ask first? Adam. Come along said, what's happened? Adam, you tell me. What's just happened here? Now, if I'd written that story, he'd be asking the woman or he'd be asking them both. No, he addresses Adam. Tell me what's happened. What's fascinating is Adam does a double blame game. He goes, well, it was that woman that you gave me. Double, double blame game. He points the finger at God, not just at Eve. Well, she did it, and you gave her to me, so <laughs> no responsibility here, mate. It's terrible. It's really bad. But then it continues in Genesis chapter 3, when God pronounces judgment from that moment, when he pronounces judgment, while as humans they are equally to live in the consequences of their sin, Eve was responsible, but again, it's the man who God addresses first, and it's the man who God addresses most in the judgment. And so, in the same way, when it comes to, and I'll talk about it a bit more in a sec, when it comes to elders in the church being men, for example, this is not negating the worth of women in the slightest, nor of any of the other men in the church who aren't elders. It's the same thing. It doesn't negate anybody's worth. It's not a question of ability or value or dignity but it is one of completion and one of flourishing as people according to God's best intentions and blueprint. Together, male and female, we reflect God's multicolored glory with different callings. It's not a question of ability, I want to keep saying that, but it's one of calling and one of God's design. Now, look at it from another angle. Jesus broke cultural norms all over the place. Did he not? If you're familiar enough with the Gospels, Jesus broke cultural norms all over the place. He talked to women in the street. That was forbidden. You do not, a, ma a Jewish man, to talk to a woman in the street. That was a big no-no. No, big no-no. He did that plenty of times in the Gospels, didn't he? He talked to women in the street. That was forbidden. He taught women the law. He shouldn't have done that. Utterly forbidden. In the Jewish law, Jewish way of life and order, you do not teach a woman law. What are you doing? He did that on more than one occasion. He talked to women in the street. He taught women the law. He did forbidden things. He ensured a woman was the first witness to his resurrection. That was an outrageous idea. What was he thinking? What Jesus did repeatedly throughout his ministries regave women their nobility. And yet, he chose 12 men as fathers of the church to raise up more fathers in the church. Of all the people to break expectations and flawed assumption, human assumptions, it was Jesus who was going to do that. And yet he called men to establish further men as fathers in the church, as shepherds of his flock. Why? Because these differences are about divine flourishing as family, not about domineering. And I hope, that just, I hope you just are able to receive that. Because even in this passage, well... Some translations of this passage render it gender neutral. They should, be, they, they should have one spouse. Actually, you look in the original text, that's not there. It quite clearly says husband of one wife, for example. It's he, it's he, it's he. That's what it says. There's a lot more to be said than that on that. I don't, I don't have time. But if, you want, if you've got any more questions, please just feel free. Come and find me. Let's do coffee. Let's talk about it. I'd love to. So elders are biblically, we believe at Beacon Church, elders are male but not just any men. These are men who are recognised not by mere ability, but also by an internal and an external calling. Men who have sensed God's 
specific expectations of them in this light, but also the church seeing God setting them apart for it as well. These are men under whose leadership women should flourish. If women don't flourish under their leadership, they're doing it wrong. We need to question that. This is about not domineering, but about serving. This is about not controlling, but investing. This is about not stifling, but releasing. And that's, is that not true fatherhood? Surely, should be. So that's the first word, he, I just want to talk about. Second one I talk, want to talk about, uh, it talks about the ability to teach. Verse, where was it? A, verse 3, it needs to be able to teach. I just want to talk about this because it's slightly related again. The, the ability to teach is not just talking about the pulpit. Can they do a sermon? It's not just asking that. It's also about pastoral situations and so on. It's about applying um, scripture into situations where things aren't black and white. It's about pointing to how the gospel applies to every area of life, for individuals, for couples, for families, for, for you know, working out you know, what people are meant to do next and so on and so forth. Um, it's about applying scripture to every area of life. It means to be able to teach. Now, when it comes to teaching, we affirm that elders lay down the core doctrine of the church. Let's call it teaching with a capital T, if you like. Um, In 2 Timothy, Paul talks about us being guardians of the truth. Again, it's about feeding the flock sound doctrine. There's a place for elders to lay down the doctrine, the core doctrine of who we are as as a church, the foundations. And the buck stops with them for that as well. Includes the resources we do for Sunday Club. We as elders are responsible for what's being taught out there. We can't go as well. It's nothing to do with us. It's kids' work, isn't it? That's, te- that's teaching the truth. We need to be guardians of that truth. So we are aware of the resources that are being used, and we take that seriously because we're teaching the children, our future leaders, as we were hearing earlier. We need to take this seriously. So we as elders are responsible for that, but laying down the core doctrine and guarding the truth. But then there is a place for others, men or women, as appropriate and according to their giftings, to preach out of that, to exalt to encourage, to apply it. Teaching with a little T, if you like. It's still preaching. It can still be on a Sunday morning. It can still be in the pulpit. We're okay when it's preaching out of the foundation of the core doctrine that the elders have set and are guarding. There are some passages in the New Testament about women being quiet in the church, silent, not allowed to teach a man, and so on. We have discussed that, those passages at length as an eldership team over a long period of time. We've We've read broadly and so on, and we recognize that some verses speak of universal truths. Some verses speak of specific situations according to their context, their time, their place, their culture, and so on. And we are convinced biblically that there is a place where the elders should only be preaching, or uh, elders only should be preaching on a certain subject when it comes to setting the core foundations of doctrine of us, uh, us as a church, and also when it comes to direction. Therefore, this is where we're going as a church. That's for the elders. We're the shepherds, yeah? It's about the feeding and bringing direction. But there are other times when it is okay for gifted men and women to further contribute in a preaching role. Does that help? I hope, I hope that helps. Elders set the foundations and others can launch further from that safe place and inspire, inspire us to act according to Scripture. That can still be preaching. But quite often when the Bible talks about, I don't permit a woman to teach... We need to not confuse that necessarily with what we expect on a Sunday morning. There's, it's referring to a certain setting the foundations of core doctrine. That's why I'm preaching this sermon today. This is why I'm preaching this, because it is ensuring our foundations as a local church are straight and true and in line with Scripture according to all utter conscience and conviction. It would be nicer 
and easier for someone else to stand here and tell you to submit to your leaders rather than me standing here asking you, look, the Bible says you should submit to me. <laughs> It'd be nicer for someone else to do that. But this is defining the foundations of us as a local church. And so it would be unhealthy, it would be unfair, and I believe unbiblical to ask someone else to do so, which is why I'm preaching this today. Other weeks, it's okay for others to preach on the back of this kind of core doctrine, whether they're male or female, according to their gifting and what's appropriate. <coughs> Excuse me. That's about teaching. <coughs> Two more, very quickly. Uh, there's another one he says in verse... I'm probably not going to find it, but being above reproach. Beginning of verse 2, above reproach. This is about accountability. It's about transparency. It's about integrity. This is not above approach. Elders need to be approachable. If we're not approachable, you need to find a way of approaching us and telling us we're not. <laughs> Barge your way in. Elders need to be approachable but also accountable. And that includes transparency in how we live our lives. And I'm, I'm bringing this one up specifically because I want to big up John and David. I really do. I truly value having them alongside me, the three of us, leading the church together. These guys are trusted. These guys are transparent. I hope you've seen that for yourselves as well. And we keep each other accountable. We are honest with each other. We do bring each other up when we don't agree with each other in a healthy way. We do that well. We want to keep doing that well. We want to learn how to do that even more. I just want to big these guys up. They, I, I believe they're above reproach. If, if they're not, come and tell me. Come and tell them. But I just, I just want to set, set them up just as a model for being above reproach. Does that make sense? I want, to, I want to say, look at these guys. You want to know what above reproach looks like? Then I, I can, in all conviction, say, look at these guys. And I just want to big them up and just say, thank you for who you are. That's a big thing. But as always, we, we don't just want to keep each other accountable. We want to be accountable to you. If ever you have any concerns about anything in our lives, please do come and speak to us. We want to be open, want to be approachable, and we want to be above reproach. And the last one I just want to mention now is about plurality of eldership, more than one. comes up in 1 Peter 5. Peter, we read earlier, he exalts the elders to be shepherds. And also in Acts 14, you see Paul and Barnabas, when they raise uh, leadership in a, in a church in Lystra, I think it is, they, 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 it's a plurality of elders. They put elders in place there. Plurality, it's about sharing the load, it means it's not being built around one man. So when we have, in relational mission, for example, when we have a, a pioneering um, couple, family, a group of people, start something new and it becomes a church plant. When it becomes a church, we don't wait for one guy to become an elder and he lay hands and he's an elder and it's a church now. We always wait till there's more than one, at least two, preferably three or more, that we can bring into eldership at the same time. So right from day one, it's a church with a plurality of eldership because then it's not built around one person. It protects against pride. It protects against arrogance. It protects against ignorance. It protects against blind spots. It embraces difference. It gives a more fully rounded leadership that should then also affect how we operate as a church at large. It blesses you by having more than one elder. <laughs> Big time. And so as a result, I am not the pastor here. Who's your pastor? Steve. That's not the case, thankfully. It's not just me. I'm one of them. We you, who is your pastor? John, David and Steve. That's who your pastor is. Okay? Don't forget that. I'm just one of them. I ensure the team is working as a team. I'm the team leader at the moment, but that's a, more of a first among equals. It's different. It's not Steve and he has his team of John and David. It's a team of three, and I just make sure we function well as a team. We are, we are a team with a leader. We are not a leader with a team. Okay, just try and remember that. Um, but 
we need, I believe, we believe a team needs a leader, just someone who's gifted in a certain way of ensuring we're on the right track as a team, that we're flourishing well as a team, that we have direction and organisation as a team. If someone's able to do that better than me, I am well happy and I will happily let them run with that. If in the meantime it's meant, it's meant to be me, I'm happy with that. I've just got to trust God's calling in that. doesn't mean I'm your pastor with two assistant pastors. That is not the case. There are three equal elders in the church at the moment. Numbers will change in the future. Of course they will. But it will always be equality of elders, one of whom happens to make sure they're functioning well as a team. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Let me finish now. How? How do we raise elders? How do we find them? As always, as elders of the church, as shepherds of the flock, we keep a close eye on the flock. We're always trying to keep our fingers on the pulse. We're always investing in people, observing people, listening out, watching. Just, it's not audit. It's not Ofsted, watching out what they're doing. But we just, we want to know where you guys are spiritually. We keep a watch over your souls. But as we do, sometimes we, we think that person will really flourish if we give them a bit of responsibility in this area or we ask them to get involved over there or there's something we can let them run with you watch them grow if you allow them willingly to be stretched and challenged and we press into that different times with different people and small groups in worship band and, and different teams and sometimes he's being in a team sometimes he's asking them to lead the team and so on and watch people grow it also recognizes and you need to be blessed in hearing this some of you will flourish when you get to roll up your sleeves without the burden of others to look after. And I'm sure some of you go, thank goodness for that. I don't want to lead. And that's okay. We all have different parts to play. Leadership is not better. Leadership is just another role to play. But within that, people will present themselves with a leadership gift who are able to, to uh, build community, who are able to lead people and raise them up and challenge them and stretch them and help them grow and so on and so forth. And within that, some men in particular will present themselves in a different way with a shepherding heart. comes back to the shepherd picture again. Men of integrity who are able to feed the flock, who are discerning about where the greener pastures are for the church, who are able to spot danger, who have hearts that means they would lay themselves down for the church. Now and again, these people make themselves very evident. And as they do, we will have more of a conversation as eldership teams. So I wonder if this person's got eldership on them. And we do talk about it. And at times, sometimes we'll then come to that person and start having a more explicit, open conversation with them on the subject and we start going on a journey together. As we go on a journey together, there comes a point where we need to be more open with, it, with you guys. We're not at that point yet. We are having those conversations. We are talking to people. We are journeying with some at the moment who may or may not become elders. That is happening at the moment. You need to know we are being very uh, proactive in that area. When the time is right, we will mention names to you because we want them to be publicly examined by you as well. So for you as a church, you need to go, yeah, we, we see it as well, rather than, okay, we'll take your word for it. We don't want to just put people into position of eldership and you just have to lump it. That is not how we do family. We do it together. So when the time's right, we'll present someone or people to you to be publicly examined by you. So over the next two or three months, come and tell us what you think of them or watch them as well. Are they above reproach and so on? Do they fulfill the qualifications and so on? Because elders need to be acknowledged, loved, and honoured by the whole congregation. It's not a democracy, but we do this together. Does that make sense? So we are raising new ones. We are pressing into that and seeing what God does with that over the next short to midterm. But we have taken our time over this because we and you need to be sure that to put someone in a position of responsibility like this and God has not called them to it, that will crush them. 
So we've got to protect them in that as well. We've got to be sure of this. We've got to be serious about the requirements. We've got to be serious about how we work as a team as well, about the chemistry of it all, because then it affects you, and we care about you. So we want to do this well. And so to ask you publicly in the future to consider an individual with future eldership in mind, we want to be convinced ourselves beforehand for that individual's sake. Otherwise, it won't be fair to them either. I hope that makes sense. And that's got to say that eldership is for a season, not necessarily for life. Just because someone's become an elder doesn't mean they're an elder till the day they die. Maybe, but sometimes it's just for a short term. I've known people who've been elders for three or four years, and they were the right man in the right place at the right time, and then it was right to move on for different things, to hand over to a newer team. They were part of a season. That needs to be okay. When people become elders, they're elders for a season. It might be short, it might be very, very long. But don't assume it's for life at all. Let's go back to that first verse I read from Hebrews 13. And we're going to finish here. Because there's a few more words after it I want to read for very good reason. Hebrews 13, verse 17, back where we started. says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your, sho- over your souls. Now we can see the shepherding picture again now, can't we? As those who will have to give an account. But then it continues. Let them do this with joy and with no gro- not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. I'm reading that out, not to wag my finger at you, but to big you up as well. I'll big John and David up, I want to big you guys up as well. I've got to say, generally speaking, you make it a joy to lead. I really want to say, I've got to start crying now, but genuinely, we love you guys Dearly, and we are so grateful. Sometimes we hear what happens in other churches and three of us go, thank God for Beacon. (laughs) Really, you guys are an absolute blessing to us. Of course, we have our bumps in the road sometimes. That's life, that's family, that happens. But generally speaking, you you make it a joy to lead you you and you let us lead you without groaning. And I just want to say thank you so much. And whoever's listening on the tape is is not here now. Thank you so much. We are very grateful for the flock that God has given us to shepherd. Please continue to do so. That would be a great blessing to us. Thank you. The church is God's flock. The church is God's flock. His flock needs shepherds. And we, the shepherds, do so under the guidance of the great shepherd. We've got to give the glory to Jesus, haven't we? He's the great shepherd who still shepherds us, but he does it through his under-shepherds as well. That's me, John, and David at the moment. See what the future will bring. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the great shepherd. You are the good shepherd. I love that word you use. You are the good shepherd. In contrast to (laughs) all the others, really. Jesus, you're amazing. And we celebrate you. We embrace these amazing truths of how much you care for your people. We love that. We thank you that you're not a God who's set us up like a little clockwork figure, wound up the big key in the back and let us trot. You're alongside us every, every, every step of the way. You're in us through Holy Spirit. You're guiding us. You're leading us. But you also make sure you have people on the ground in the right place who you have equipped for a purpose to ensure we do so well, Lord. We thank you that we're family, that we're not business, and we're not a club. Lord, we're your people. We're your flock. We thank you that just all these words that you use in your word just have such a tenderness in them. Lord, we are so grateful for that. We just say thank you, Lord. Help us to function well as a family, as a flock. Help us to help us elders to continue to to feed your people well, 
Help us to be fed well in order to do that. Lord, help us to keep our eyes open where protection is needed, where truth needs to be brought in, where direction is required. Lord, help us as elders, but together as your people. Help us to do this well. Lord, we, as your bride, we want to shine with your glory. We, the more we gaze on you, the more as a veil is lifted, Lord, we gaze on you as one, is it uh, 2 Corinthians 3? Your, the, the, uh, our faces are radiant as a result. We want to be a church that shines. Lord, as, as, you, as you lead us, as we work together to follow after you and to keep the main thing, the main thing, and so on, Lord, may we shine with ever-increasing glory in Herne Bay, not to bring glory to Beacon, but to bring glory to you, that others might come into the flock, and this flock might grow for good reason, not just about numbers, because those numbers are names. There's so many out there that don't know you yet. So, Lord, help us to function and to flourish well as a family. Where we've got it wrong, where we've dropped the ball, will you show us? Lord, and let us be open to change, open to challenge, because ultimately this is about you and we want to bring you the most glory we can possibly bring with every ounce of our being. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Any questions, please do come and find myself, John or David. We'd love to chat things through with you and you can talk about it more during small groups during the week as well. Please pray for us. We always need your prayers. Don't forget, speaking of prayers, prayer and vision tonight, 630 Teas and coffees are served, and parents, if you want to fetch your kids, that would be brilliant. Thank you.